Hello, welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes we achieve outstanding pairings, and other times we give ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, Carlos Cooper, and with me here as always... Dave Gurney. And, and Joe Hilliard. All right, and today we are going to uh, drink a beer and, watch, and talk about a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Did you forget love, where you, you were? Know, it, it, we're 50 plus episodes into this, and it, it's just dawning on Carlos. Yeah, what do we do on this? Yeah, thing? that's yeah. that's uh, that's what's going to happen. And the beer that we are going to drink is is a little uh, blueberry Berliner Weiss uh, coming to us from the great state of New Hampshire. Um, our a first. first first New Hampshire beer on the uh, podcast, which I was kind of surprised when Joe put his spreadsheet together a few episodes mm-hmm. back. Uh, I, I thought for sure we had had something, but no, we did not after looking through the archives, right? Yeah, and you can see a map of everywhere we've had a beer on our website. That's accurate. All right, so we'll Sounds delicious. Ahead. I couldn't even, uh, if you asked like, oh, what's a brewery that you like in New Hampshire? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, well, Smutty Don't know any knows. off the top of my head. Smutty knows out of Portsmouth... Um, for a long time, was available down here. I it was. I feel like they pulled back. They, they maybe overextended and then had to, uh, had to pull back some of their distribution. But at one time, you could get, they had a brown ale that I think a lot of people like and, uh, and, and some other. They had, I think, Mighty Fine is their... Uh, you think it was good? Or Finest Kind. Finest Kind is their IPA. Do you think it but, was as good as my brown ale? No. Okay. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Yeah. Um, but not, this, not our first Berliner Weiss. But it's the first thing I recall us drinking with any blueberry note to it. That might be that might this might be the first beer with some uh, blueberries. So it is a it is a I guess traditionally brewed Berliner Weiss, but then which is a wheat beer that's mm-hmm. a sour wheat beer, typically light. Um, I don't know what the ABV range is. Five but five. I, <laughs> this one is five five, but I feel oh, like I've okay. seen some Berliners that are as low as four, or maybe even. Yeah, they can get they can get yeah. kind of low. Um, but th- this one has uh, blueberry puree incorporated, and you can see the color, right? Yeah. I mean, you, right when it pours, it's mm-hmm. actually kind of a, you know... Um, Light plum. Yeah, there you go. It's good, very, good description, yeah, absolutely. Good. So um, we're going to get a little of that sourness on the nose, but we'll go ahead and start... No, it smells sipping. delicious. Tickles yeah. your nose hairs. Yeah, it smells delicious. Start wipe my, wiping my nose hairs off now. <laughs> sipping on that. Um, while I get us prepped here for a little discussion on a recent release um, that at least as we record this is in fairly wide release though um, I w- we'll, we'll see how long it stays that way it's uh, Richard Linklater's latest film Where'd You Go Bernadette uh, based on a best-selling novel uh, by Maria Semple of the same name and this the, the basic premise here being um, you have a very sort of uh, anxiety-ridden, stressed-out kind of uh, female lead character played by Kate Blanchett, the titular Bernadette. And she is sort of at a point in her life where it, it seems like she's kind of treading water at best, and, and yet she had this very big career before, and um, she's got the stresses of home, and yet she's not really doing what she's supposed to be doing. And you find her at this kind of crossroads where something's got to happen, and what ultimately ends up happening and what kind of goes to the title of the film here is that she just kind of leaves. She, she escapes and uh, then, you know, kind of part of the film is the family finding her. Although that does actually happen rather late in the film. Yes. Um, in, okay. in actuality. But, uh, but things to say about That's that. kind of the basic <laughs> layout. It, and it is actually kind of a complicated plot in its own way, even though it seems kind of simple 
in, in how I was just describing it. Um, I don't know. What, 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 did, what did you guys think of this one? Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, the, the promotional materials for this make it seem like her escape is going to happen at least in the first act. Right. And it doesn't take place until like mid second act. Mm-hmm. If and that, yeah. I mean, if it that. Seems like it touches off the third act. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And so you think that the most of this movie is going to be this woman's adventure and like rediscovering herself and stuff. And it's, it's not really that. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what it is. I mean, I don't think that it was terrible. I didn't hate it. Um, but I also don't think that it, accomplished what it may be set out to accomplish i don't know it's just it was just kind of kind of meh this this cable and chet's great in it though this is our first opportunity to review link later one of my favorite directors and in the second half of the podcast we'll go through his career and talk about some of our favorite films sure uh but it 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 gives me those not tarantino-esque not, we're not going to that level, but it gives me high expectations. But I also know of Richard Linklater that every third or fourth film is a little bit of a clunker. Hmm. And so Studio when I watched film. the trailer for this film, it's by Richard Linklater. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. And then the trailer itself didn't really leave me dazzled or dying to see the film. I was going to because it was his film. But... Um, I liked the movie. Uh, there was a lot of themes in the movie that I personally connected with, and uh, David may have wondered if we happened to go to the same screening. I'll talk about that later if you want. But uh, <laughs> but David might have heard a sniffle or two if he was listening carefully. I was trying very hard to mask it, but uh, you have to understand that I just took my son to college, and it was you know it packed an emotional wallop, and I'm like those wounds are fresh so i would probably get a little weepy at any parent child reconnection or you know uh, them showing affection for one another but um this movie needed another draft in the screenplay and it needed kate blanchett to tone down the manic when it was just her alone in the room, which was a, a large portion of the film because she's ag- agoraphobic, or to a believe, would have yeah. believed. And she would just like overdo the I'm a quirky character. And it was very, very distracting. Hmm. The relationship between the uh, husband and the wife I found to be lacking in substantive content, knowing that they're not estranged, but. You know, physically estranged from one another because of his, the, the his career, yeah, and her isolationism, yeah. But there was no undercurrent between those two actors for it being the relationship that he would fight for, uh, and but, but at the same time, he showed us a lot of pretty things. The cinematography was great. Some of the performances were were, were wonderful, but at the end of the day, this didn't pack a. A, a, a wallop of a film that I'll remember for very long. I this was one that grew on me as I was watching it. I I have to I'll take issue with what you just said about the Kate Blanchett performance. I thought it was pitch perfect. I think really? it was, I, I to agree. me I think wow. it, was, it was the thing that really held the film together and that by the end of it really carried me through. Mm-hmm. I think I where I totally agree with you is that this needed more work in the screenwriting. Yeah. I think it's incredibly challenging, obviously, to boil down a 300-plus page novel into a one-hour, 45-minute kind of feature film, which is essentially what this is. And that was that was the pressure that I was feeling. Now, I haven't read the novel, um, but 
having read enough novels in, in my life, I, I could almost sense where, okay, yeah, if you had 20 pages that you could devote to this, then mm-hmm. you, could have, you could develop that in a way, and it would feel like a nice element of the story, but here it just kind of feels like something that's a little underdeveloped and maybe doesn't belong. And which, which, one of those thing, which ones of those things could truly be cut from the film? I, I don't even know, honestly. What I do know is where it really got traction was towards the, that third act where you know they, they do go off after her. And you had to do some of that buildup. You had to get us to know what her background had been, where her career successes had been, you know, what her relationship with her daughter and her husband were. And I will agree with you that the chemistry with her and Billy Crudup wasn't necessarily fully there. But given the point in the marriage that they're supposed to be, it's like you almost would have needed to see some flashback scenes or something to see them together at a time where it made sense for them. And they showed you some photos. They do. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, yeah. that's how they On get purpose, away with it. Right? Right. There's, hey, there's a video essay about her right. that she goes back and watches. And that does fill in a lot of this backstory for us. But that doesn't, you know, seeing a couple still images of a younger looking Kate Blanchett and Billy mm-hmm. Crudup next to each other doesn't quite get me there in terms of the, believing. The, the cards were up on the board going scene to scene to scene, but the connective tissue was very, very weak. All of a sudden there's a therapist. All of a sudden the therapist is at home, you know, and it's, it's moving the plot to where you need to get her at the very end of her rope, her being discovered for some of the problems that yeah. she's causing. And then that causes the escape, which he gives a, uh, the husband gives a beautiful bit of exposition to the daughter that explains that this is just her MO and we don't need to worry, but let's go on an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about an underdeveloped two hour and 10 minute film. I know. No. Is it that long? Yes. That no, is a no, very... no, 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 no. It's 109. So it's the one hour 49. might come from the, with the uh, addition with of previews and, and whatnot. Stuff. I don't know, man. I saw 210 also. I know. IMDb says 210. And based on the time that I got out of my uh, mm-hmm. 7.30 showing, yeah. you know, it's, that's not far off. It might not be quite that long, but... I think it's under two. <laughs> okay. I do. Okay. I mean, well, whatever it is, it's around two. It's around two, and, it's around two and, and it's underdeveloped. I th- uh, I, I'm curious if Billy Crudup has ever had chemistry with anybody based on his performance <laughs> in this film. <laughs> I do agree that Kate Blanchett is the only thing that makes it watchable. Um... There are a lot of things that make absolutely no sense that clearly worked in the book, but were not, did not um, get enough uh, consideration in the film, uh, such as the husband's brand new assistant being present for an intervention right. Right. with yeah, that, his when, wife, which makes when absolutely he knows no that sense. It's his one of his wife's mortal enemies yeah. in life. It makes no sense. Never whatsoever. would have occurred. Well, and they they don't do anything to establish the relationship between the husband and the assistant. Like she has been his assistant for like four days. Right. And we we so, see them introduced. Yeah, but if and then, but if the assistant was like a trusted confidant that had been with him for years, that yes. would make sense. But in yes. the way it's presented, absolutely no sense. I get it. Um, I get it. There yes. is I mean quadruple the amount of setup that we need for her escape could have happened so much faster mm-hmm. uh, very very easily um and you know it's just kind of a missed opportunity in almost everything that it attempts to do and also one thing i found truly infuriating when watching this movie is i realized that if i had just moved to la i could make a million dollars a year scoring films because this has one of the worst scores of anything i've ever seen yeah it's so 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 bad so I bad I, I didn't notice it 
oh, it stuck out like a sore thumb to me because it was yeah. so rudimentary. You, you, you do have an ear for the score in a way that I don't. It was know, no it doubt. was a, it was it was a student film score. Interesting. I mean, they had to have just picked somebody at USC and been like, "Hey, you want to score films in the future? Here, do this because we don't want to have I to mean, pay anybody." I, there, there I didn't. I did. It didn't knock my socks off in terms of the score. I thought it was a totally competent one, though. It, it never stood out as like, "Oh, this is now." This is a guy, Graham Reynolds, who has worked on other, and we can talk about this in the second half, who's, who's worked on a number of other um, Linklater films and, and some other films. I mean, he's based out of Texas, from what I understand. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it I'm, felt I, super phoned in to me. Well, that's... I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed the uh, essay, the video essay that mm-hmm. gives us all the backstory. Oh, that was the other thing that I meant mm-hmm. to mention, is that... That could ha- that's a good narrative device. I like that for the backstory part, so we, it doesn't just all hit you in the face in exposition. But I I think a better way that you could have done that while also getting us to the escape portion sooner is maybe part of her travels throughout the end is her going back and revisiting and trying to be able to finish watching this video expose in order to be be able to reconcile with her past and maybe it's. You know, when she finally does get through all of it is when she's kind of like, okay, I re- remember who I am. I need to do this again. I, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, it didn't, because I, and I thought that's what they were going to do because she closes the laptop, like, you know, shortly after kind of watching the portion where it gets into the 20 mile house. And I was like, oh, she's going to come back to this later in a way, you know, that right. finishes the the, the, the daughter opens her laptop and, the, and resumes and, but from then that point. Yeah, but then it's the daughter that does it, yeah. which is fine, like, I guess, but it would have been, it would have better served the narrative and it could have helped with the pacing if it was her that was, like, yeah. trying to, like, confront the past that she has left behind. And speaking of technology-based devices, the whole notion that she has been giving all of her information to a virtual assistant that she's never met before. Yeah. And then that plot device t- creates the, the central conflict of, of her life, current life. And then the guy f- a couple hours later goes, we're good. Uh, yeah. We apprehended that guy. I'm out. I, I, I am no longer useful for this story. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> super, super useless plot point. Yeah. Totally useless. I, I, I would say though that the, the theme that, that, I connected with was the notion of a creative, an essential creative. And we failed to mention that she, uh, that, um, she had won the MacArthur genius uh, grant. I mean, so there's all kinds of promise in her career. Um, was a creative that chooses not to create or gets to an emotional place where they, where they cannot create. And the idea that the husband understands that redemption is here because he's hearing her say, I have found a creative purpose. Yeah. And the husband, the loving husband would know that, okay, good, because she requires creating to be whole, yeah. to, mm-hmm. to be complete. But he did nothing for 20 years to help her do that. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 he was I, kind of an ass too. I know that, the, that it was also derailed by the failed, the miscarriages and, and the, the, the issues yeah. with pregnancy. But, um, I enjoyed that theme very much. I'm a big believer in that theme. That crea- I mean, I think the creatives are here to all create of, all and to stifle the... their creation is a travesty. Right, and and I like that theme there too. I mean, I think all the dots you're pointing to, I think, can work. They they all can work. I mean, the virtual assistant thing. I will admit the, the you know, or I will agree that the way that it happens in this film, this film version of the story seems really strange mm-hmm. and kind of artificial mm-hmm. and like you learn about it 
it comes out of nowhere. See, well, not out of nowhere. I mean, they've kind of built up that she's using this virtual assistant is happening throughout the film. And then, you know, that it gets revealed, oh, wait, actually, this is, you know, these are identity thieves and they're trying to, you know, they have drained your bank accounts and they're doing this and that. And we're looking after, we're trying to catch the culprit. Um, but then just gets caught and, and that's yeah. over. I mean, that that is sort of the, okay, well, how do you deal with that in a film where that's just one little element? And again, that's where I think in a novel, yeah, that could right. probably came across as a strong enough element. I get why something needed to happen to kick mm-hmm. the husband into gear because like you said, he hasn't done anything for, significant for 20 years. I mean, he there is the conversation they had before with, have you thought about seeing someone, right. a therapist? Could you? So he's concerned and he's been trying, I think, periodically but what's going to actually cause him to do something more profound and an intervention essentially learning that she's been giving over this information you know you needed a conflict like that to kind of kick him into a different register to, right. to be able to do that but it does it's tough when it comes in as just like this little plot point that kind of happens really quickly and, and yeah, goes clunky. by it's clunky yeah most of the things that happen in this are plot points to move the narrative and they're very like clearly that and then and then but i do think i want to you know i agree again that there are lots of things that are that aren't done as well i thought that the dynamic at the school was was kind of done well i like the Kristen wig performance i thought she did a great job as the sort of hyper um school oriented mom who's trying to get bernadette to you know contribute or you Mm -hmm. know to take part in these fundraisers or these and you know to an annoying extent Mm -hmm. it's it's a character type that could be done in a very um sort of simplistic way but Kristen Wiig is just a great actress and and I'll and I'll watch her do and she hits it out of the park and she has to have some growth in there too when Bernadette comes to her later and I think it she pulls it off that pays off perfectly yeah. yeah that does yeah yeah um can we talk about the end of this film yeah or the lack thereof mm-hmm. they find her she's uh, uh agreed to pursue the creative notion of 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 building of, of architecting what i'm trying to say designing a mm-hmm. uh, a new south pole research facility mm-hmm. and then uh everyone hugs and then the lights come on and then they show that she built it yeah man uh that was rough. It was one of the most abrupt endings of a film I've ever seen. See, I believe that. If yeah. we, I believe that if we loved, Bernadette, there was a whole act after that that we should have seen. Yeah. You know? if, if, like, if we, be, if I, I believe that, and there have been, I'm going to say the name of a title that will elicit at least one groan, but it's Forrest Gump, right? And some people love, and some people love, some people love, and some people hate that movie. But the reason why the film is successful is because those that love it love Forrest. By the yeah. time they get to the end, for sure, you don't love Bernadette. She doesn't. She's she's not a lovable character. And yes, there is redemption. She's a sympathetic one. But you, I don't know. I, I I I think I agree with you on paper. And I was having trouble. I mean, early on in the film, I'm like, why do I even care? Like these people are so ultra wealthy, oh, ultra yeah. privileged. Yeah. Yeah, the There's, story can't you know, happen like, if you don't there, have unlimited resources. There are these prep school kids who had every advantage. Po- possible thrown their right. way and you know and yes now they're living that life and okay she has some kind of mental issue that's keeping her from being able to live life to its fullest but she seems to be doing okay and you know yeah. th- that was but her performance like i was saying before for me Kate blanchett it came through enough that it won me over and i would say by you know whatever by 30 minutes into the film i was caring about her okay. and certainly by the time we got to the end 
that did pay off to an extent. Now, I will agree that it felt a bit abrupt where it went, but I do think narratively it got me to the point that I needed to be to feel somewhat satisfied and that, okay, well, she's had the breakthrough. She knows this is her problem. The family is reunited. She has her new project. The family is reunited. There's, I mean, and then even, you know, mm-hmm. even though it is like a credits sequence, seeing the construction and seeing this, you know, sort of mobile station that can be moved around so that it can actually track with the South Pole's coordinates, you know, that was somewhat, again, there was a satisfying yeah. element to that. Could it have, could they have used another, you know, five to 10 minutes to, to give us kind of that, um, you know, post-climax scene yeah it definitely could have but i don't know i mean at that point i i feel like that's one where most likely in the editing room they're like well you know we're already kissing two hours we should probably try to rein this thing in rick yeah. you know? and that's where they chose to rein it in <laughs> nowhere well, else you know, I, th- I think there's a consensus that uh there are enjoyable aspects but uh largely a link later fail was, i wouldn't it say was, fail it was no. very meh yeah it wasn't and, um, it wasn't a fail but it was very eh. I'm not mad that I sat through two hours and ten minutes, maybe an hour forty-five, depending on who you ask, of this movie. Uh, it was not, a short film. I'm not mad about it, but I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, I have no desire to do it again. White um, White Birch Brewing. I wouldn't now, see, the, I, recommend I, I, it. I, I, and oh, let it. me. I'll just throw it out there. I was thinking Almost. I would want to watch this again. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Not. And, and, and okay, how about this? Uh, uh, my fiance wants to watch it. I'd watch it with her. Yeah, I would actually. I, this I'm going to watch one, any link. This, letter this is one it. that I'm going to tell Aaron we need to watch. Okay. And because and I, I, I think she's really going to enjoy the performance. I think she's going to relate to some of the right, what's, what's going on agree. with the character and all that. Um, I think it's a really great story. I I totally agree with you both that it's not executed as well as it could be, um, and and that is a little bit frustrating. No, I li- hold on. I liked I liked this movie. I said that at the beginning. I'm going to I'm going to hold to it. Okay. It's it's, a, it's meh for link later for me though. Okay. All right, there we go. Now, White Birch Brewing. Ah, there it is. Yeah. Did they fail? Did they uh, reach their creative pinnacle? They tried to deliver a blueberry Berliner Weiss. Well, I don't know if they reached their pinnacle, but they did a, a mighty fine, sure, mighty fine job. Yeah, uh, I, I'm enjoying this a great deal. Good deal. Yeah. No, I I think this is, you know, when, when you're talking about fruited sours and ones that uh, you can you can drink and and just drink a good deal of this is right up there for me i mean i i would have this any day of the week heat of summer this is a perfect kind of in fact i say that with some experience i had four (laughs) well this is the fourth i had three of these cans uh by the lake this summer uh when when it was uh nice and toasty warm in the 80s even I was gonna yeah (laughs) it was not hot where you were not not texas hot but uh but it was really nice to to have on summer days with the sun beating down. It's just a perfect kind of. We've had fruit adjunct beers where we have commented that we can't even taste the fruit that's listed on the can, and right. we've had fruit adjuncted beers where we go, "Whoa, yeah, dial back on the peach, yep. peaches, whatever." Yep. You got to get a balance, right? And it's got to be a broad enough balance. The balance has to be broad enough to appeal to people that have different palates. Yeah, but this is a great balance of the blueberry it's not too much not too little it's not overpowering and it's a delicious beer i would i would i would buy this on purpose yeah yeah i would agree yeah. i would good um, job white I would, birch i would yes. spend my hard-earned money on this. keep creating 
Absolutely. And they and <laughs> very good. From what I understand, very nice. <laughs> from what I understand, That's they I they have uh, they at least have a raspberry variant of this as well a as raspberry. A, a, yeah, raspberry. Only one man would dare give me, me the, the raspberry. raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that's I'm, why I like this podcast. I can make that reference, and you guys know what the fuck I'm talking about. When I do it in the real world, out in the wild, everyone looks at me like I'm nuts. Except for that one guy <laughs> across the room that goes, "Uh huh, uh-huh. I got gotcha. you." Uh-huh. Yeah, right. He just shouts back, "Lone Star." <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, discussing Linklater's career. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think for well, we'll see. I mean, for for our listeners, it'll be interesting. Linklater is one of those directors I think that has somewhat flown under the radar for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. um, but we'll find out. There's one or two that you've heard of. Yeah, for sure. When we return. Welcome. It's time to pour a second beer. We're going to discuss the films of Richard Linklater and his contribution to film. But Carlos, you're bringing this to the table. Uh, Yes, I am. Um, This is a beer from 903 Brewers. Uh, They are out of Sherman, Texas, Mm. which I have been led to believe is near Dallas, and I believe that to be correct. Um, Don't hold me to it. Yeah, there's a college there. I forgot the name of it, though. (laughs) Uh, Austin. That's what I thought. (laughs) This is um, another beer um, in a similar controversial vein to Mm. one we had in the last episode. Um, And it is... uh, An earlier episode. (laughs) (laughs) The pickle beer we had the last episode was a much, much controversy. Uh, This is another controversial one, which we have... uh, (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) Sorry. Which we have uh, discussed in the past, and it is the Land O' Milk and Honey Irish Cream Flavored Golden Milk Stout, mm-hmm. as it says on the can. Take your senses on a journey to the land of milk and honey. In this beer, you will find a liquid delight of rich toffee malts intermingling with notes of honey, vanilla, and chocolate with whispers of almonds. Uh, pours a deep caramel color with a medium body and creamy mouthfeel don't look out this beer is only available for a limited time it clocks in at a uh, cool 6.5 and it pairs well with bangers and mashed corned beef and pots of gold uh, which might (laughs) be a little insensitive they they, they put a lot of thought into their copy yeah they did a lot of their the beers I've had from them recently have that I don't know if they always do Mm -hmm. but we did get a big shipment of their stuff uh, in recently to our local beer emporium, and so far I've had this one. I've had an, an Irish ale. Uh-huh. I've had a cookies and cream cake stout, a cookies and cream uh, cake cream ale, uh, a peanut butter stout, and they all have that similar kind of. You can't see it because this is an audio format, but the layout with the write up and all that. Kind and of what stuff. are your thoughts on the, the brewery, brewery before this one? Um, everything I've had from them so far. Before uh, I, the first round, I got the cookies and cream cake stout the peanut butter stout and then the second round i got the cookies and cake cream ale and then the third time i went back they still had this one and they still had the uh, scottish ale one i think it's called we heavy or we tipsy something i don't know something like that um and so i I, you know those are kind of lower tiered on my you know want list um and i'm glad i bought them in the order i did because the cookies and cream cake stout is sold out pretty fast. Um, so I'm glad that I went with that one first. And if you're a listener to the podcast, uh, if you're a relatively new listener, we have had a uh, ongoing conversation 
uh, at least two episodes uh-huh. deep. Episode 39 was the first time that we talked about golden stouts. And if and Carlos, you brought up the question, are they even a style? This will be our third one third that we've one. ever tasted. But there's nothing golden <laughs> about this. I was going to say, this one flunks on one count uh, very clearly. Now, it is not as dark as a typical stout. It, it is more of a, I don't know, what it's, is that, it's, maroon? Yeah, it's not completely of, opaque. You can see through yeah, it. But it is a light. dark I, I would never call this blonde or golden. Yeah, not at all. Okay. So hey, well, you know, we'll keep that in mind, I guess, as we're cheers. And it was it was important to us to do a Texas beer. Yes, which this is, and I also uh, buried the lead on this one because I did post it on our Instagram already. Um, oh yeah. A picture of the beer in a glass that I poured it into. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you'll get our full review, not just a photo. Yeah. Maybe I'll delete the photo. I don't right. know. I photo's fine. So what, why a Texas beer, John? Well, because Richard Linklater is a proud Texan. Uh, he started the Austin Film Society before he became a well-known filmmaker uh, in, an, in an effort to bring to Austin a, uh, a diverse and eclectic ability to watch to watch different types of movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, prior to his, you know, not his first film, but the film that got him on the map, uh, 1990s Slacker, He's a you know a big 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 Austin fan and yeah. uh, that was ninety. Believe he still even yeah. lives there and the community of filmmakers in Austin that have gone on to national fame, Robert Rodriguez, who we've discussed in the past, Link later, Mike Judge and others, mm, are uh, uh, te- they, they love Texas and uh, he burst onto the scene in 1990 with uh, Slacker. Yeah, a yeah. film film very much based and rooted in the place of Austin, Texas, right? I right. Mean, Austin is the the main character of the film in in a lot of ways. I mean, it is sort of tagged as being this film that's uh, emblematic of Generation X, right? In in this sort of large way, which it is, I think, in 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 some sense. But clearly, to me, I mean, I remember seeing it in 1990 when I lived nowhere close to Texas and had no idea what Austin was all about. But uh, but seeing that film really kind of bringing across this kind of strange quality. And then whatever it was about, well, almost 15 years later, that I actually was living in Austin uh-huh. and watching it again. And it just totally blew my mind how, oh my God, this is so much about this city. And right. the city had changed a lot already by then. Oh, yeah. But it was definitely a film about Austin. And it's 31 characters, uh, most of which are not connected at all in what uh, is kind of like a, a, a... It's not a one-take movie. They don't right. try, they don't try to, to, to make you believe you're watching no, one whole no. take. But it's a day in the life of Austin with a, a 31... Misfits. Right. And when I say misfits, and when Linklater made the movie, he was eager to say, I'm not making fun of Slackers. Slackers was not meant to become a derogatory term. Right. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and it inspired, along with uh, Sex Live and Lies and Videotape, those two films are kind of noted for um, ushering in the 90s independent cinema. The ability that with a, a little bit of money but a really good premise, you can turn a dollar mm. if, if the concept is good enough. Yeah, yeah. And so, you, you know, absolutely w- what you've said is right, that that was the film that kind of put him on the map. He had done at least one other feature before that that played very to very small audiences um, and, and really didn't get much of a release until many years later. But um, but after that, followed it up with... Well, I was just going to quickly say, sure. I'm not a slacker devotee. 
No. I'm not fully connected with this film. Huh. You know, I, I can appreciate its place in filmmaking history. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith and many others have said, but for Slacker, I would not be a filmmaker. Yeah. I saw it and it inspired me to pick up a camera, get 10, 100,000, whatever money I could scrap together and make mm-hmm. my movie. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, I, you know, I I appreciate the idea that many many people love this movie very yeah. much. Yeah. Well, I, seeing it, I remember it just sort of like I say. I was pretty young when I saw it. I was mm-hmm. probably thirteen or so. Mm-hmm. What by the time I saw it on VHS, and, and it, it it struck me as so unlike anything I'd ever seen. Oh, without because, a doubt. for the reason that you're talking about narratively, there is no central character. Uh-huh. There is no central conflict. It is just truly a day in the life of this city and following people for a scene and then moving on to the next character and the next character, the next set of characters. And there's, you know, little like sort of overlapping threads there, but you never come back and like, Oh, that character that we saw at the beginning, now he becomes important again. No, it just kind of moves on to the next and to the next. And and the film was financially successful when you consider budget to a return. Sure. And it was so critically praised Mm -hmm. that he was able to do a lot more for his second feature. And he chose to write and direct dazed and confused. Right. And Dazed and Confused, boys, is uh, one of my top ten films of all time. I love yeah. this movie. I watch it at least once a year. It's a good movie. I saw it re- for the first time in the last 365 days. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, I knew the... I knew all the be a lot cooler if you did. And it made stars. It didn't make stars, but it, it was a initial stepping stone for folks like Matthew McConaughey, well, Ben Affleck, Renee Zellweger. I mean, a bunch of folks in that movie. Yeah, that went on to, to great great careers. But it's uh, it's also a not a day in the life. But is it? It is one twenty-four day. hours less than that. Yeah. Okay, so they go. He it's goes. It's the last right, day right. of we high pick, school. We pick up kind of in the afternoon of that day, yeah. and then yeah. it ends the morning of in the next Texas day. In a Texas high school, yeah. uh, the last day of nineteen seventy-nine. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's cars, and it's jocks, and it's uh, music, mm-hmm. and it's uh, uh, you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah, it. it I mean, to, to me, and again, the, I have to go back to when I saw it initially. Mm-hmm. When this came out, I had, I was probably... 1976, a, sorry, not 1979. So, you know, I was a sophomore in high school, so seeing a film about high school from a different era, but, um, you know, the kind of milieu, the end of high school, I remember seeing this, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was during the summer, and school had just ended, and it was kind of this... Oh wow! This is not all that different than my no, you know, right. existence, and, right. there, and there were just a lot of points of connection in terms of the kinds of little things that were going on among the characters and and how they are related to one another. But for me, you know, the surprising thing is, as the years have gone on, I have gone back and rewatched it probably at least three or four times, uh-huh. and I just like it more and more each yeah. time. Honestly, it, like it, 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 it gets, it gets, I get more out of it every time I watch there, it. There, you know, we could do a douchebag. Uh, uh, in cinema kind of series and I think that you know our poster boy until we find a better one is going to be Ben Affleck's character O'Banion in that film yeah, he's an ass. <laughs> he is such a douchebag <laughs> so, he doesn't understand that he's the butt of the joke right <laughs> anyway fantastic and so many quotable things and then he follows that up with and Carlos this has to be up your alley because you're slut for rom-coms yeah never seen any of them I have the trilogy wow I know <laughs> I know Oof. I was uh 
I said that before we recorded this, I was going to watch all three of them, and I was going to watch Waking Life, and yeah. I did none of those. Oh, things. you haven't seen Waking Life either? No, but I have seen Iskander Darkly. We'll get there shortly. Uh, before Sunrise is the first of what would become a trilogy, and I, if I can only imagine that they'll probably do one every nine years until one of the principal actors dies. Or, yeah. You know. Well, what, what's interesting is that they they never committed to that. It's no. not like you know. It's just it it's happened. It's fallen. Um, they, yeah. They fallen. I think they've fallen in love with the characters and the experience. Right. Of that team getting together. Well, the, yeah, I, I, I think they love the basic idea of create these two characters, give them this very compressed time frame, like yeah. 24 hours. Again, very close to what he was doing in Days Confused in a certain sense, or Slacker, yeah. right? I mean, the, you see a pattern emerge very yeah. early on this idea of, okay, what, what, what can you accomplish here in this little time or these moments in people's lives where something seemingly insignificant is going on and yet there's a lot there and so these two characters who just happen to meet on a train getting off the train together and then wandering in, in around, austria right wandering around vienna together mm-hmm. uh getting to know each other until talking. until she catches her train the next day he him. yeah he has He's, to catch yes, his train so right, hey I'm, right. I'm, i gotta get off here i gotta i got an overnight to kill do something wacky, get off the train with me, and yeah. let's just kill the night. Yeah, and she does. And and the beauty of them, you know, like you say, about nine years later, yeah. being able to bring it back, and like, because that film ended with, oh, we'll meet up here again, right. right? And it's, well, that didn't happen, but what happens if they did meet up again somewhere in the future? Well, we don't know if they met up or not until that question is answered in the sequel. In the sequel and we could right. go on into them. Nine years later, like you said, they made uh, before... Sunset. Sunset. That's the 2004 one. And that was probably my first or second favorite film of 2004. That mm-hmm. one I connected with in a way that I did not connect with before Sunrise. I thought Sunrise uh-huh. was nice and it grew on me as the years went. But before Sunset is an amazing movie. Yeah. And in the chronolo- chronology, we'll get there. And then nine years later, 2013, they do before, what is it called? Midnight? Uh, before Midnight, yeah. And now they're, and sorry, Carlos, spoilers, they, they reconnect nine years later when he's at a book signing in Paris, mm-hmm. and then they walk the streets again for the night, and they get they fall right back into their comfortable way of conversing and teasing and then getting serious, and then him being, you know, yeah, he'll make a joke to diffuse a serious situation since we only have a few hours together. And then you'll know, Carlos, that since there's a third movie, something must have happened because they're still together with a child. And it's you're now seeing accurate dialogue about about folks that have been in a relationship now in nine years with a young child and they're mm-hmm. a little bit unhappy and some of it's unspoken. And now, of course, in this, in the filming, the 24 hours that we're filming, we're going to get it all out on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mark's also the beginning of his uh, collaborations with Ethan Hawke, who became a very important collaborator right. throughout uh, his career, right? Where, uh, you know, before Sunrise in 95, but then the Newton Boys in 98, uh, Tape in 2001, and, you know, the, these other films. And then I think probably the most ambitious experiment of filmmaking that they've done together, Boyhood, which, right. which wasn't released until 2014. But we find out that they've been making it for 13 years. Well, I mean, it was it was publicized that they were doing it. It just it. I remember hearing about it because yeah. I remember it was right around the time the tape came out, or you know, shortly after that. And they, I think, in some interviews, talked about, oh, well, we have this other project that we're going to be working on, and 
but it won't see the light of day for over a decade. We're just going to kind of do this. And I remember at the time reading about that and thinking, oh, wow, I wonder if they're actually going to be able to see that through. I mean, how many things could happen in the so next many. 12 years right. that wouldn't allow that right. to finish? And they did it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it blew my mind back in 2014 when Boyhood was finally released and to see that, oh, my God, this experiment actually paid off and, and they were able to make something pretty amazing out of that. So now after Before Sunrise, you see his first clunker, in my opinion, Suburbia. Really? Yeah, I'm not a fan of that movie. I'm a fan of the Penelope Sphere of Suburbia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's it's got your boy film. in it. I liked it. You know, it, that is one I have not returned to. Yeah. I remember seeing it back in its day. Um, I, who, was the, who was the male? Uh, Giovanni Barbisi, right. Um, I remember liking I've it gone okay. Gone in 60 seconds. Yeah, I don't think I it was. But it was another. Isn't it just one night? Is it? Yeah, it, yeah. It's the same. It's the same concept. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, God, it, it, it's now. Now that we're going through this, I, I, yeah. I hadn't really thought about how much his films, at least early on, were really about like, hey, this is going to unfold in a very specific period of time, right? And, yeah. I, and it's, it's a narrative and a screenwriting, you know, challenge because mm-hmm. you've got to create character without much time being able to right. go by. And in the Newton Boys, I made a joke. To you guys, the Newton Boys is certainly, I think, a clunker in the thing. It's uh, now we're doing a larger budget. Now we're doing, you know, uh, star Matthew McConaughey, Skeet Ulrich. Ethan Hawke is back, like you said, David. And uh, we're back in Texas. It's uh, the Newton Boys is about the uh, Newton gang mm-hmm. who were um, Texas bank robbers from Uvalde. Right. Yeah. It, you know, again, I, I like the film. I yeah. actually I own it on DVD. It's it's not one that I've probably watched it two or three times. Right. But it's not one that I think oh I need to go back and watch. The the thing I think that didn't work for audiences the way that he had maybe hoped it would is I think this was such a story in his own mind like this the Newton gang the the actual gang. I think he had grown up kind of reading stories about them and thought oh this is so built up it's like an easy thing to do. And it's a very straightforward film in many ways. Right. I mean, for him. And I don't think it pays off in quite the same way that, you know, I think Westerns being out of vogue and also the, uh, you know, the story just not being as widely known as he may have thought it was. It didn't succeed in the way that I he thought wished, it would have. I wish I'd had a chance to watch his next film, 2001's Waking Life Again, before this episode, because mm-hmm. that's a movie that many people have connected with, and I failed to, and I know that I've seen it twice. But this is his first of two animated films using uh, the rotoscope technology, where... Right. They would it, actually it, shoot footage... Correct. Shoot. ...of live action, mm-hmm. but then have animators essentially draw over those images, recreating them right. in various... And giving things. you the ability to do... Uh, uh, pops and flashes in the background yeah. and create a psycho, almost like a psychedelic it's very effect. psychedelic yeah right. you said you saw it recently Carlos what'd you think no Waking Life I didn't get to see but I've seen oh. a scanner darkly so I go. am familiar with the technology and the look of the film and I thought it was great for scanner darkly I mean that's a pretty trippy book a great book right. um, one that was adapted very well so we know that he can do it yeah <laughs> and it's one it's, it's also another example of a thing that he likes to do which is to discuss with meandering dialogue sometimes it seems improvised dialogue and i bet sometimes it is For of sure. real big philosophical concepts mm-hmm. real heady stuff yeah he enjoys talking about human nature and how it relate how humans relate to one another slacker this movie uh, um, 
how humans are relating to one another, even, even though they're not directly related to one another. Yeah. Uh, the random, almost. Um, but like I said, I did not connect with that film. And then Scanner Darkly, I didn't really connect with it either. It has this second foray into this rotoscoping technology. Yeah. yeah. I connected with that one because I liked the book so much. And then after reading the book, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a movie. Oh, Keanu Reeves is in it. Oh, okay. Um, but I've been waiting this entire time for us to talk about his most successful film. Go ahead. His greatest film, his magnum opus. I I'm I saw it recently. I know where you're going. I saw it recently and it's as good as the day is long. School of Rock. It's fantastic. <laughs> it is. Not written by him. Not no. written by Mike him. Mike White. <sighs> but Mike but, White. He was yeah. on Survivor recently, fun fact. Have you seen um, Chuck? Uh, have you seen, seen Chuck he, and Buck? Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen yeah, that. Yeah, that is good. He was a Survivor contestant, though. He, he was also uh, Greatest Race. I mean, I think he's kind of a reality competition show junkie. and has tried. He was on with his dad, I think, on The uh, Amazing Race. Yeah, yeah he, was just, he was just there hanging on Survivor. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that I know to be true in this life, one of very few certainties that I have is that you can't stop. The School of Rock. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it. I remember. Seeing, it's such a perfect movie. Now, did you see? You know what? Old, how old were you when that so, came out? Uh, it came out in two thousand three, right? Yeah, uh, I was eleven. So you went and saw it in the theater. I did. Yeah, yeah. more than once. And it rocked your socks off. Rocked my socks yeah, off. Absolutely. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so good, so quotable. I mean, you know, you talk about people that you know had jumping off points like not in a very huge mainstream way but Miranda Cosgrove's so funny in that movie yeah. like she's oh, yeah. so like forgot. uppity and you know, and then she was a Nickelodeon star later yeah um, I'm not a huge fan of Jack Black's latest works into the foray of the big budget thing but you don't like Jumanji? Not really. But We're going to do Jumanji 2 on this show. Okay. But for a while, though, I mean, you either... I mean, I see Jack Black do anything physical. Like, like move his body around physically so in funny. the way that he'll do it. And he, and he, he nails those... Um, uh, the the, the uh, satire of rock... Um, mm-hmm. uh, what, pomp and circumstance. The, the, the performance of the lead rock artist. Yeah. The, and how that's his... He equates that certainly with success. And he, he wants to be able to do the moves and when he does the moves there's another hilarious move too is a very tiny detail what's the name of the band that they're up against uh, that wins but um, um and I, there's that one guy in the audience that screams their name oh help me um no it's uh it's on the tip of my tongue the guitarist is wearing that ridiculous leather leather sleeves, leather sleeves but sleeves. no shirt and then he does that snake move while he's playing the guitar because he, like, they're supposed to be the physical embodiment of horrible rock music and then of course uh anyway yeah school of rock is is so great it is it is so funny and it gives jack black and joan cusack and uh, Sarah Silverman's the weak link in that movie, though. I I, Balls. I love Sarah Silverman and almost everything she but does. It's a pretty but, small part. Yeah, maybe, I know, but yeah. she's a gratingly annoying. Well, she's supposed to be in a bad way. That's the that's the entire point of her character. She's I can so feel funny. her acting. Anyway, uh, I I don't know if you can feel her acting, but like, when are you going to do something with your life, Ned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like the way she yeah. says Ned. Or so so good. 
I, I liked her in that. Yeah, I mean, this. The, I, no vacancy. Okay, Thank you. Okay. No vacancy. So where do you go from there? You make your sequel to Before Sunrise, and then you followed up with another, uh, what I that guess was, on paper seemed like it was going to be a huge critical, a huge mainstream success, 2005's Bad News Bears. Uh, quite, mm. the, quite the opposite, actually. He, in an interview, I believe it was with Mark Maron, but I could be wrong, but I remember listening to an interview with him where he said he did Bad News Bears because he saw how monumentally it was set itself, it had set itself up to fail. He saw a studio trying to go in, make a beloved 70s film into a a new one, and thought to him, they offered it to him. He didn't think it was going to be great. And he thought to himself, if I don't do this, they're going to give it to somebody else. Somebody else else is going to do it, and it's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. So I have to direct this movie and try to do the absolute best with it that I can. And I think that I mean he seemed to be somewhat happy with what he did. I you know, I, I liked it when it came out. I've I've never seen it. That is one it's, it's in not the good that I haven't seen. I mean I haven't seen it since it came out. What year was that? Two thousand six. Two thousand five. Two thousand five. So he follows it up two thousand six with Fast Food Nation, which is it. a big departure from him because mm-hmm. uh, we're moving into. It's a nonfiction book being um, converted adapted, into right. adapted into a fiction uh, quality, and it bombed at the box office, and you know yeah. it's got a pretty low tomato meter score. If that means anything to anybody, followed that up with Scanner Darkly, the second of the Rotoscope films, and then a, a string of uh, well, a string of movies that are interesting decisions for everything he had done prior to that. But me and Orson Welles, boy, I haven't seen it, guys. I haven't seen yeah. it. Around the table, hadn't seen me and Orson Welles. I do remember it being released, and I just was not able to make it. Um, Though the the film that followed that is and Carlos, you referenced it in our um, Lufkin episode, Bernie. (laughs) Bernie, (laughs) our Lufkin episode. Yeah, Yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, Uh, the title. Yeah, greetings from Lufkin. Beer in a movie presents Lufkin. That's right. Right. Uh, Yeah, Bernie. Again, Jack Black. Again, incredible. Yeah. No, incredible film. So funny. Uh, and so, doing something very different. I mean, one, yeah. one of the one of the roles that really stretched Jack Black, and and I oh rem- yeah, I remember seeing it and being really just in awe of how much he sort of melted into that character, and that I didn't see the trappings of a typical, you know, like the gesticulations right. and the movements. No, movement. he, no, it yeah. was a very different. It's considered by most to be his his best acting role. Uh, yeah, to, I would. To date. Ag- I would agree with that. I mean, actually, that movie came to my attention um, via my my mom, who was not a very huge Jack Black fan, aside from School of Rock and I guess his role in High Fidelity. In that poster um, she has on her bedroom wall. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's just him shirtless. It has nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with his acting. Right. Uh, just his physique. But, uh, God, and, your, your mom is so shallow. <laughs> I know, uh, but she... Uh, I think I think her and my uncle watched it or something, and like around the holidays, it was like on TV or something. Yeah. I don't I don't remember exactly, but she somehow ended up sitting through this entire film, mm-hmm. and was asked me if I had seen it, um, and I hadn't even heard of it. And she was like, "It is." She was like, "I don't even I don't like Jack Black, but I love this movie. It's so good." And blah 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 blah, and raved and raved. And I was like, "Holy shit!" If she liked Jack Black in this movie, he's got to be doing something different. Which is enough to get me in a theater, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, buy the DVD or yeah. rent it on whatever the fucking. Uh, yeah, it's so, and all those people are actually the people that live in Carthage, right? Um, like not actors, mm-hmm. just like you know, genuine folk. Right. Yeah, no, and, and then, I mean, I and then we got also out of Bernie, 
one of the greatest ad campaigns I've ever seen, which was <laughs> Richard Linkletter's uh, kind of anti-Trump ads. Uh, where he was oh, just, right. It was uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, well, yes. any Ted Cruz, yeah. sorry, when uh, Beto was running against him, and it was just like, now that just doesn't sound like Texas to me. You know, <laughs> and like just talking shit yeah. about Ted Cruz. Sonny Carl Davis. Yeah, yeah. so funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And I want to point out, though, I mean, we record this podcast in Texas. Dave wasn't born here, but he got here as fast as he could. <laughs> um uh, this is a Texas story. It's uh, Texas Monthly, I'm sure. This Whatever state you're listening in has got its own Rhode Island Monthly magazine. But Texas Monthly is a pretty well-established magazine for having decent, decent writing in it. Yeah. I, I enjoy the magazine a yeah. lot. And Skip Hollinsworth, who was the co-writer of the film, wrote an article for the ni- in the 1998 Texas Monthly uh, issue about this real murder. Right, and so I I believe, and we'll see it in his with his um, involvement in Blaze, uh, not yeah. directing. Uh, He's in it though. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, Austin and Slacker is that I think he's drawn to Texas stories. I think he oh, wants yeah. to tell these yeah. Texas stories. Sure. And then he does so in a way that I mean, Bernie I don't think was a mega financial success, but certainly a critical success. Certainly didn't cost much. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it was made for a very modest yeah. budget and and also thinking about, you know, able to pull in a guy like yeah, I'm looking at budget 6 million and box office was 10 and uh-huh. that and then you got to think DVD sales right. and all that. Yeah. You know. And then so I think it got more of a following. It was hits. definitely one of his financial successes even if it was on a smaller scale, mm-hmm. but it was also one of those first that kind of touched off the uh resurgence of Matthew McConaughey, right? Playing yeah. um the prosecutor. Sure. They're, Great um, in it. Yeah. Really good, and and uh, and obviously, like we said, a turning point. Well, not a turning point, but a, a point in Jack Black's career where he really flexed a different kind of muscle uh-huh. for for that. Shirley MacLaine delivers a really great like, career kind of yeah, performance. She's yeah. wicked. So you know, it's just the it's, chewing. Yes, <laughs> it's it's just one of those beautiful, like yeah. perfect kind of storm films where you have a filmmaker who just has this real sensitivity to small stories, the right kind of character actors, also on top of that, this real interest in place, right? Yeah. And 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 the film, I think that sequence where you have Sonny Carl Davis as just this kind of random townsperson in Carthage talking about all the different regions of Texas and how they all have their <laughs> yeah. own flavor, it's really one of the best parts of any of his films. Right. Like I, I could watch that, you know, whatever, yeah. two-minute segment right. over and over and, and over And it's real. Again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, maybe some people that aren't from Texas aren't going to enjoy that passage as yeah. much as we do. But yeah. as somebody... That's why we're drinking a Texas beer. Yeah, you know, Texas film we right. know about it. Mm-hmm. We've experienced it firsthand. You know, yeah. it, it, it rings true. Before yeah. Midnight and then um, Boyhood. You know, right. I found out last night my wife did not like Boyhood at all. Oh, yeah? Didn't think it worked See, on any I level. I think you watched the movie for the novelty alone. The idea that they pulled this feat off. Well, that's what I said. And she was like, look, I'm not taking anything away from it. It is wildly impressive and ambitious that they were able to pull this off. But mm-hmm. it's just not that good a movie. And that's like she said it wanted to be the tree of life or something like that. And I was like, fuck the tree of life. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, it, 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 that's this interesting. Movie, <laughs> so to say that she really likes tree of life. Yeah. But I find huh. Terrence Malick to be like, you know, we saw a trailer for the new film today and I'm in. I am in on this new one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah it looks better than most things. But well, anyway. we'll, we'll save the Malik talk for later. Right. But that's interesting <laughs> yeah. that she's using that I, as a I was, point of I was offended, though, because I really enjoyed boy, Boyhood, and I thought that 
like what you said about slacker like you know this is just these people on this day Mm -hmm. you know whatever that boyhood was you know there wasn't anything like super grandiose about it there wasn't any like insane like overly dramatic conflict and you know you the whole time you think you keep thinking through every stage of this kid's life that there's going to be some big thing that happens that's going to be this turning point that's going to upheave everything and the one that i remember the most was they're driving and i think he's like he looks at his phone or something and she says like oh you're gonna like that's bad you're gonna get in a wreck and they're like driving on the highway like going really fast and i think he's going to college or something and i thought that they were there was gonna be this huge car wreck and he was gonna almost die and like because of what that foreshadowing what she said but then nothing happens you know it's just like average normal shit you know and Mm -hmm. uh I just I just really liked all of that. And yeah, the, yeah, I, I like the minutia of it. Yes, the, well, thank you. The minutia of it. Well, I can cut out everything. That's it. That's and, <laughs> but it, but that's really. And if you look back over, that's where he excels. Yeah, like yeah. small moments, things that shouldn't add up to much. But then after you've watched it all unfold, you realize, well, that is what life. You know, like boyhood. This is what it is growing up for most people. Mm-hmm. Not some people do have that traumatic event. Right. Some people do have that car wreck. And some we don't have to use age makeup to fake it. Right. I mean, we're really and, watching it happen. And there is and there is trauma that goes on, right? I mean, yeah. the, 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 the parents do split. There's stepfather. there are these things that kind of come into it. But those are kind of like they aren't the primary points of interest. He's much more interested in those smaller moments that happen in between those mm-hmm. and how people actually live their lives mm-hmm. and not just those huge inflection points that they experience from time to time. But he's always, he, I mean, he's always experimenting with the rotoscope, with the uh, bucking convention to do 24 hours in a day films over and yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And this one, imagine like if the imagine if the story had been we wanted to get together one uh, every single year to capture this, and we missed we missed 1995. Right? Can you imagine that would be lame? To... They 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 nailed it. I mean, yeah. they nailed the. I mean, and, and in Hollywood with all these actors having other careers, sure, it's difficult to do. Did, well, it's, yeah, did Patricia it's, it's Arquette deserve right. her Oscar? And again, that's yeah, why I think she did. That absolutely, and that and that's why I go back to you know like him meeting up with Ethan Hawke at that early stage sure. in their careers, and they became collaborators. They've worked on these projects that have had these more experimental leanings. I mean, we just mentioned earlier very briefly Blaze. I mean, Linklater shows up in Blaze, Ethan Hawke's first it was one of the first Zephyr feature? Records guys, right? Yeah, it's yeah. his first directorial feature. His first feature. directorial feature. So, you know, obviously they have this close relationship. So finding somebody like that who would buy into a project like that and actually return year after year. It's well, a big he's, deal. he made two films after that and then someone maybe can IMDb if see what his next project is. Uh, yeah, but I'm can, sorry. He's made three films. We just discussed the third of three. Can you imagine pitching Boyhood to a studio though, saying, "Give me money for this"? Right, right. How could you do it with anyone other than Linklater? Insane. Someone of his stature, maybe, but it's just a crazy but thing. Who of his stature would would try to do that? Oh, and he's got anybody. a record for trying different things. Everybody wants some 2016. I was really looking forward to this film. It's the 80s answer to <laughs> Dazed and Confused, and was so underwhelmed. See, so under uh, not underwhelmed. Fine. Films had a few laughs, but did not hit the potential, and maybe it couldn't have given yeah. how much I love that uh, the first movie. The days confused. Yeah. yeah. See, I've still not seen it. And have, and then uh, the next movie, 2017, Last Flag Flying. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know. Yeah, never heard of it. I knew it did. It's it's sort of a sequel to the Last Detail. Yeah. Um. Which, yeah. Right. Which is a film I love, and I remember never hearing seen it, it was coming out. I don't believe it ever played in the theater here, Mm-mm. and I. 
I have no excuse for why I haven't tracked it down since then, but... It's it, on our to-do list. Yeah, it definitely is. And then, of um, course, what's uh, where, where are you at, you Bernadette? Bernadette? Where'd you go, Bernadette, yeah. 2019? We discussed yeah. that for uh, 30 minutes at the beginning of this. Right. Now, I love this director. Even in even with the with the ones that I'm calling clunkers, every with a clunker, maybe two, the next one's going to be amazing. So I look forward yeah. so much to what this guy is. Uh, and he's still young. Yeah, how old is he? 50? Yeah, mm, he's probably in his 50s. Mm. Um, wait, he was born in 1960, so actually he's about to hit 60. Yeah, oh, next year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he has a baby face, though. It's funny. You see him. Yeah, I, he I does, mean, I, th- yeah. I think he looks younger than I do. But I traded an email with him. Did you? I secured him as a judge on a thing, and I oh. his assistant handled it all yeah but he sent one email oh very nice that's cool i, I felt really special that I, you should yeah it, i mean it to me he's he's a guy like i say i saw slacker very early on mm-hmm. days and confused was the one who really that really sent me over and ever since then i've been really invested in, in him i as we go through it i feel sad that there are even a few that i can say i haven't seen right and i definitely need to go especially those more recent ones and, and kind of catch up on them but um you know he just even if something doesn't totally hit all the points, like with wh- where'd you go, Bernadette? Even if it's not a total success for me, I still always find interesting things there. Yeah. And I, I, I think he, he's like I said before, I use the term sensitive. I think he is just a sensitive storyteller. He has a lot of interest in humans and how we interact and what it is that actually constitutes most of our lives, and. You know, is he going to make a big budget action film? No, that's that's not where he ex- he doesn't have that. Who knows? But I don't think he ever will. I don't. I just I don't see that in him. I think instead he's more interested in these stories about how people relate to one another and and these small moments mm-hmm. th- that they have and exploring and, and, large and comedy. Philosophical I think large... he, I think he has a I think he has a really kind of innate sense of comic timing. And uh, in, in guiding actors to the kinds of performances they need to pull off certain kinds of humor. It's School of Rock being uh, that a, a case in point. There. Right. Yeah. I saw it on TBS. <laughs> Along with like everybody. <laughs> no, no, remember I told you I saw School of Rock recently? Yeah. It was on TBS with commercials. Right. And, yeah. we, and we, that's all we had at that moment about right. three months ago. And we did it. Yeah. yeah great movie. Yeah. Oh, I so, try to watch it now, once a year. is this a great beer or... This is the well. Wait, 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 oh, wait. Well, well, Hold on. Well, aren't we going to ask what our favorite oh. later film is? I, I mean, School I, of Rock. I've already shot my one. Really? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, days, what is days, days and Confused, no, yeah, yeah. School of Rock. I for me, Newton Boys, and, and we kind of went oh. over this one, and Newton I I didn't boys. chime in, so I'll use this as my opportunity to chime in. I think it's Waking Life. It, it was a oh, okay. film. I remember seeing it in the theater twice at the time, and it just being so unlike and and. And coming out of a filmmaker who had already delivered Slacker and Dazed and Confused and Before Sunrise and these films that I really admired and enjoyed, and to see something that really even took took me further and 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 pushed me and and was also just visually unlike anything else I had ever seen. That is the truth. It it was just such a treat, and it's one that I feel like if I ever get the opportunity to see it on the big screen with an audience again. I will do it. Invite yeah. me to go with you. I, your glowing endorsement makes me want to see it again. Right. I want to g- give it the good old gurney try so that I can sit next to you in the theater and laugh really, <laughs> really loud. I, I covered my mouth a few times. If you have a, a DVD copy of that you'd like to lend me, 
let me know because I that is it. that I is am. one that I very much want to see that I haven't. Also, the before trilogy is on Criterion. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So if anybody wants to get really into so, that. Criterion loves Link later. They've given him a lot of love. Yeah. yeah. Where, where Joe is going, in fact, I actually have the uh, Slacker Criterion sign. I do. Sign oh, by Richard how did, how did I have not, it without uh, being signed. How did Son we not a... talk about um, Wes Anderson when we were talking about Texas directors? His name didn't come up. Well, because he doesn't have a lot of Texas love. Uh, but R- we can, Rushmore we can... shot in Houston, but yeah. other than that, he's pretty exotic locale. Yeah, yeah. Still. He's he's more of a New York guy in in terms of sensibility. <laughs> but I yeah. suppose um, he's out there. Have we done a Wes Anderson yet? Yeah, we did Isle of Dogs. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that was uh, that was uh, like our third episode. Yeah. What a good movie! Uh, what is is a good beer? Yes, it's my best. It's my favorite of any golden anything we've had, and we've had three. So I think, again, going back to where we were at the beginning, it's a cheat to call this a golden because clearly they're doing some stuff here it's with the malt golden. bill that's it's not, not a typical golden. golden, golden right. But it is much it says, closer to a stout than any of the golden stouts we've had it before. It says caramel color on here, and that is a very dark caramel. Yeah. That is a... Yeah. Uh, that's a chocolate-dipped caramel. A, that, is a, <laughs> that is a praline... Color. Yeah, there you but go. would you send a friend to seek this out? Milk, the Lando Milk and Honey from Nine Hundred Three. I kind of like it. I, I mean, like it a lot. Of, of all the golden stouts that we've had, it is the only one that I would say I would drink another can of. Like I would buy this as a six pack, or is it a four it's pack? A four pack. Yeah. There, um, there's a golden stout that I bought that I wanted to do on the podcast, but I liked it so much I drank all of it before we I understand. recorded. You've been there. Um, uh, yeah, this this one's not doing a lot for me. No, no. Okay. I think it has a pretty complex profile. It does. I think what it's I, okay. It has more body. I think that may yeah. come from the milk, the, the lactose in there. Um, I think it definitely has some of that roastiness that I like with the stout. True. Yeah. I'm I'm getting some of the honey character. I don't know. Maybe it's just too sweet for me. I don't know. It is sweet. I I will give you that. It is sweet. That's why I, I don't know if I do two of these in a row. Yeah, maybe not in a row. But I would definitely seek this out on tap. If I mean, if this was on tap, I would ask for a pour of this. Yeah, I might try it. What I will say that I've learned in um, our adventures in Golden Stouts and my one solo uh, excursion is that. You can't have a golden stout. It has to be a golden milk stout because mm-hmm. if you don't have the lactose in there, you're not going to get anywhere close to the body that uh, you need to be able to call it a stout of any kind. Right. Um, or, or rather, maybe another way to say that is we have only seen them duplicate that with lactose. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it can be done without it. Yeah. I have not well, seen it. Well, hey, brewers out there listening who feel like you've done that, the, the gauntlet Send has it. been thrown. It Send it on up. through. Let, let us I'm taste challenging it. Joey. It right. was a link later extravaganza. <laughs> and, and you'll I, want to hear more about everything that we do. That's right. Yes, and you can do that on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, uh, Instagram at Beer in a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX, and of course, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com. And then, uh, you know, um, Send us some beer, please, uh, or not. I mean, I don't know. I don't really care what you do. Um, <laughs> Just listen. Yeah. Uh, but if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please um, rate, review, and subscribe. The subscribe button helps you stay abreast on all current uh, new updated episodes. When they release, you'll be the first to know about them. 
And then if you could rate and review us, that would be great. We know that you're going to give us that five-star rating, but it is very, very helpful if you go ahead and write a quick little review about what you thought, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want to see more of in the future. It helps us uh, program our content for upcoming episodes and let us know uh, – you know, what you guys are digging that we need to do more of and what you don't like that we can get rid of, you know? We're always uh, trying to make the best product that we can for all of our lovely um, hopheads out there. Um, now, all of that being said, until next time. All right, all right, all right. I thought about doing it. Metal